is brought to you by Calvary Bible Church in Burbank, California. We trust that this recording will be a benefit to you and will be a challenge to your Christian faith and walk. For more information about Calvary Bible Church, see our website at calvarybiblechurch.org or call us at 818-556-4840. Another year has gone. Another year is upon us. What what will 2013 hold for Calvary Bible Church? You thought about that? If you read the uh, Calvary Reviews, which I hope you do, three months in a row, we heard from uh, Lou Stone, Jim Stone, and Jim Kin's father about the ministries at Calvary Bible Church over the years. And Though the names and the dates and some of the things that they focused on were slightly different, there was one common denominator in all of those Calvary reviews it was gospel-centered ministry and evangelism. Amen. Each year, year after year, Calvary has been known for preaching the gospel, not just in the pulpit, but in Sunday school classrooms and in homes and on school campuses and on softball fields. Amen, Jim Stone? In 30 years from now, in 2043, if the Lord tarries, I know for some of you that is a scary number. What will the Acts of Calvary Bible Church read? What will will those Calvary Review articles say about the ministry at Calvary Bible Church over those 30 years from this coming year to 2043? I love what is said of Paul and Barnabas. After fleeing Iconium from their, for their lives because of the ministry of the gospel. Listen to what they do in Acts 14, 7. And there they continued to preach the gospel. As I thought about the chronicles of Calvary Bible Church, reading through those three Calvary Review articles, that was the theme. That was the theme over and over and over. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Through every transition, every building project over the years, through whatever circumstance that Calvary Bible Church has been in, the theme of our life and health as a local body of believers has been, and there they continue to preach the gospel. Amen? Amen. Throughout our history, all of our circumstances that we have found ourselves in, a growing church in the 50s moves from Glendale to Burbank, and there... They continued to preach the gospel. A growing church in need of a larger worship center builds by faith this building. And we continue to preach the gospel. A growing church in need of a suitable building for edification and fellowship enters a building project by faith. And there we continue to preach the gospel. God sees fit to move his pastors of his church where he wants them. Some of them to their eternal home and some of them to other ministries. And in that spot and in those circumstances there, we continue to preach the gospel. Amen? 
This needs to be our theme continuing in the year to come and the years to come. And we continue to preach the gospel. What is the gospel? Well, let's have just a very brief reminder. We know these things, but it is always good to remind ourselves of what is the gospel, exactly what Paul does in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. He says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, in which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for sins for our sins in accordance with the scripture that he was buried and on the third day he rose in accordance with the scriptures how how do we preach the gospel for the answer to that question we need to look at one of the greatest sermons ever preached as we study acts 2:14 through 41 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, please turn in them to Acts 2 and verse 14. We'll be reading through verse 41. This can be found in the Pew Bible in front of you on page 92. This is what we're going to see this morning. We're going to see Peter's method in preaching the gospel. What does he do? We'll see Peter correcting error. We'll see him drawing attention to the person and work of Jesus Christ. And then next we will see Peter's mode in preaching the gospel. How does he do it? So we'll see what he does and how he does it. Follow along as I read Acts 2, 14 through 41. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last day it shall be, God God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servant and my female servant. In those days I will pour out my spirit. And they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above. And signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. 
Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you that with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us today. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that, God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend to the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made both him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they had heard this, They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord your God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. To those who received his words were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Let's pray. Father, we, we look to you with great expectation this morning as we study this great sermon. May we... Use it as an example. May we be shaped by it into the very image of Christ. May we be shaped by it into ambassadors for Christ, heralding your message for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Now just a quick side note. Who is this preacher? Who is this preacher in Acts 2? It's Peter. Peter, this Peter, who less than two months earlier denied the Lord Jesus Christ, he stands in boldness and communicates the gospel, lets it fly. What does this tell us? It is not the the messenger. It's not about the messenger. It's about the message. We don't earn the right to communicate the gospel. If that were true, not one of us would be able to communicate the gospel. Because we are sinners saved by grace. It's not a right. It's a responsibility. Amen? Amen. All right, I'm going to hold you to it. 
The first step in Peter's method is Peter corrects error. He addresses the false thinking and false accusations of the apostles coming from the crowd. Notice the crowd assumes in the verse preceding that the activity of the Holy Spirit and the apostles was because they were drunk. Notice in verse 13. Um, it says, but the, but the mockers said, they are filled with new wine. They're drunk. That's what's going on. But... Notice Peter's defense in verse 15 says, For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour. And that's it. No other explanation, and I won't touch it. Moving on. How how can we do this? How can we and how should we correct error? We should be correcting error. How can we do this? There's a few things that came to mind. First... Be so familiar with the truth that error stands out like a sore thumb. Amen? Know the word. Study the word. I mean, the, the, the worst person to try and pass off a fake $100 bill to is a bank teller. <laughs> Wait a second. Right? Right? You want the zit-faced 16-year-old kid at the supermarket. Not that I'm printing $100 bills, but... They're less familiar with the truth. So you can slide that by. Be familiar with God's word. Peter knew these Old Testament verses and Joel. He quotes them by memory. He had them in his heart. Know know the error that is around you. I mean, if... In God's sovereignty and providence, he is placed within your life. Mormons, Jehovah's Witness, Jehovah's Witness. If you work with Jehovah's Witness, study, study the word of God so that you can defend the faith and be ready with an answer for the hope that is in you. Know what error is around you because God is sovereign and he is provident. Next, by calling sin, sin. Let's just call sin what it is. We can address error in that way. Don't call it an affair. It's not an affair. It's immorality. It's adultery. Don't say say of someone that professes to know the Lord and they're struggling with homosexuality that they're gay. It's not a Bible term. It's homosexuality. It's immorality. Call sin, sin. In love. Speak the truth in love. Next. Address wrong thinking in worldviews. The world has a wrong view of how things work. They have a wrong worldview. And we who understand the scriptures, who understand the gospel, who understand Christ crucified, we have the correct worldview. Seize those opportunities. What's wrong with the world today and how does it get fixed? We have the answer. Amen? How do we make sense of school shootings? How do we? God is is sovereign. 
And everything wrong in the world, every cancer, every death, every murder, every funeral is a reminder that there is something wrong between a holy God and sinful man. And there is but one solution, Christ Jesus. Amen? These are opportunities every single moment. We live in a world with opportunities. As the world cries out, as the world groans... There's something wrong between God and man. Seize those opportunities to point out a proper biblical worldview and call sinners to repent of their sins and place their faith in Jesus Christ who rights all wrongs. Notice after Peter corrects error, he communicates the gospel. And this is how he does it. He makes much of Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ, and he makes much of the work of Jesus Christ. The person and work of Jesus Christ. Peter goes on to explain that, in fact, rather than the apostles being drunk, which uh, what was actually going on was the fulfillment of the prophecies in Joel, that God would be pouring out his spirit and performing many wonders and miracles as a sign of the last days. And one of the greatest wonders that God would be doing is found in verse 21, that salvation would be offered freely to all who call upon the Lord. Look at verse 21. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is a direct quote from Joel 2.32, which reads, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, all caps, what does that mean? There you go, Yahweh. Shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, all caps, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls, referencing Yahweh. This is an, an incredible verse. This is an incredible section of scripture. Because you may have opportunity to talk with Jehovah's Witnesses or any other cult group who denies the deity of Jesus Christ. You point out that this prophecy in Joel says everyone who calls upon the name of Yahweh will be saved. And then notice, notice whose name Peter calls the men of Israel to give their intention to. Whose name? In verse 22. Jesus Jesus, read it. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. He attested to the deity of Jesus Christ. It's not enough to make a big stink about the name of Jesus if the description of Jesus is wrong. If the description of Jesus is in error, many pseudo-Christian cults, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, Muslims, all give lip service to that name Jesus, but they rob him of his divine right as God. We need to, we need to major on this. We need to be able to defend the deity of Jesus Christ. Here's some homework. Go home And read the Bible, open it up, and defend the deity of Christ on a piece of paper. Oh, it's fun. Do it. 
Here's, here's just a portion, just a portion of what is written in the Dome of the Rock, a Muslim shrine built right on the Temple Mount. God is only one God. Far be it removed from his transcendent majesty that he should have a son. He is all that is in the heavens and all that is in the earth. And God is sufficient as defender. This is not just some far off thought. This is coming to a mosque near you. How's that? How's that for suppressing the truth and unrighteousness? Far be it for God to need a son. We need to defend the deity of Christ. We need to make much of the person of Christ. Exactly who he is. 100% God and 100% man. This is the key. This is the key to and the center of biblical Christianity. Peter continues with this idea in Acts 4, 11, and 12. Just listen. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This, this is God's purpose in salvation, the redemption of unworthy sinners and making us alive. Remember back to Ephesians 2, how many months ago that was? If you can remember back then after we are made alive by God in verse 4, because of God's great love and mercy, and we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places, notice we are told why God does all of this in verse 7. It says this, Ephesians 2 verse 7, so that... In the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Why does he do it? To show off Jesus. To lift Jesus up to say, look at what I did. Or Philippians 2, after we are called to look at the humility of Jesus Christ in his death, even death on the cross, it says in verse 9 of Philippians 2, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is what God is doing. I mean, we all know this verse, right? John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. How about John three fourteen? And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up. God is in the business of lifting up Jesus Christ, making his name great. And so should we. So should we. And perhaps your struggle is the struggle of making your own name great. Maybe your struggle with evangelism and submitting to the will of God and communicating the gospel is because your heart's desire is to make your own name great instead of making great the name of Jesus Christ. Get on board with what God is doing. God seeks to make Jesus' name great. And he is doing that in spite of us. Do you make much of Jesus as you endeavor to communicate the gospel? Do you endeavor to consider others as more important than yourself? 
and lift him up. Notice, it's not just the person of Jesus Christ, but it is also the finished work of Jesus Christ that makes up a complete gospel presentation. Notice Peter continues. As Peter continues in verse 23 through 36, he highlights the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. I mean, this is verbatim. Jesus died for our sins right there. He's doing it. He's going through and he's highlighting those aspects of the gospel. That Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. That he was buried and on the third day he rose in accordance with the scripture. Verse 27. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. He was buried, but he is risen again. He is risen. Ooh, gotcha in December. Yeah. Verse 29 through 35, then he, he goes on to do a comparison of the patriarch David, who was in fact buried and still in his tomb, contrasted with Jesus, who though he was crucified and buried, was not in his tomb, he was resurrected. And in verse 32, he reminds them that they are all eyewitnesses of his resurrection and his ascension. Once again, this Peter is correcting error. You attach yourself to the wrong king. Even David saw Jesus as greater than himself. David is dead and buried. Serve the risen Lord, the God-man, King Jesus. Lifting Jesus up and making him great. So to recap before we go on, we saw Peter's method in preaching the gospel, what he does. He corrects error. Seize opportunity to communicate the correct biblical worldview. He draws attention to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus and what has he done? Now we will see Peter's mode or the way he preaches the gospel. Verse 36, Peter continues. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. Whoa. Peter preaches the gospel with bold authority. Fearing God rather than man. And speaks the truth in love. I think it would be safe to say that even if, even if there was such a thing as seekers, Peter is not very sensitive to them. <laughs> Peter displays a love that pushes past the uncomfortable awkwardness and communicates the truth. When we commit the sin of silence, it's not, it's not love, but hatred hatred this Jesus whom you crucified the question arises who is responsible for the death of Jesus Christ this is a sensitive thing even now who is responsible for the death of Jesus you remember when the passion of the Christ came out remember the controversy associated with that the Jews could be heard in the background saying in Aramaic, the, uh, His blood be on us and our children. 
And a firestorm of hate mail and anger came from that community. Earlier, Peter mentions, rightly, that it came about because of the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. So it was God's will. Isaiah tells us that God was pleased to crush him. Jesus says in John 10 that no one takes his life from him, but rather he lays his own life down and he will take it up again. So Jesus orchestrated his own death. Yes. You can say amen. Amen. Keep the amens coming. But here in verse 36, Peter says that the Jews crucified Jesus. Amen? But earlier in 23, he says that it was at the hands of lawless men, referring to the Romans. Amen? So which is it? Amen. Yes. Yes. But, but here's, here's the reality that we need to understand as individuals. The party responsible for the death of Jesus Christ that we as individuals need to emphasize is not God, the Jews, or Romans. But rather we need to emphasize that the responsibility for the death of Jesus Christ is because of our sin. I'll, I'll just read this statement and you tell me if you agree with this. God was pleased to crush the son by the means of the Jewish leaders at the hands of the Romans because of me. Do you, do you really believe that? Is it because of you? Jesus died. Jesus needed to take on flesh and live a sinless life and have the fury and anger and wrath of a holy God poured out on him on the cross because of you, because of me. This needs to be in our message. This needs to be in our gospel communication. No one can understand the gospel without that. You can't possibly understand the glory that is Christ crucified for you until you come to grips with the reality that Jesus died because of you. That is the message that we need to communicate in love. Jesus died for our sins. Rembrandt. Rembrandt understood this as he painted this painting, The Raising of the Cross. He depicts himself in that painting. There, overseeing the crucifixion. Another depiction of himself, even hoisting up the cross. Taking part in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. What a powerful imagery. As you paint that picture in your mind, are you there? You there? And the answer to that great song, were you there when they crucified my Lord, is yes! My sin put him there. 
That needs to be in our message as we communicate the gospel. Jesus died for our sins. He died because of you. He died because of me. This idea as believers aids us in being compelled with compassion and empathy towards sinners. Not looking down our nose at people. As we have arrived, as we are some kind of special people. No, we need to remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Before we even endeavor to communicate the gospel, we need to remind ourselves of that. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Such were some of you. That's you. That's me outside of Christ. That laundry list of heinous sins that would bar us from heaven. That's us. But if you know him, if you've turned from your sins and placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you were washed, you were cleansed. How does the crowd respond? How do they respond to this biblical preaching of the gospel? Notice in verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? I mean, this is a preacher's dream, amen, Tim? Preach a message, you know, 3,000 people stand up. Brothers, what must we do? Uh, wow, praise God. This sounds very similar to Paul's conversion recorded in Acts 22 and verse 10. After the Lord appeared to him on the road to Damascus, Paul says, What shall I do, Lord? In repentant faith, Peter responds to their, to their question, to their repentance, to their faith in Christ. Their question, brothers, what shall we do? He responds in verse 38. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, I need to cut out about two pages, because I was going to go on a rant about baptismal remission. But I won't. But suffice it to say... That those people in that baptistry and anyone here who has been baptized, if you've done it biblically, you've done it in a genuine response to an inward reality. God, by his grace, has opened your eyes and allowed you to see that God is holy and you're a sinner on your way to hell. And your only hope is the finished work of Jesus Christ. He has granted you faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And in response to that genuine faith that he has given you. You have publicly demonstrated your faith in Jesus as your Lord, as your Savior, as the only hope for you 
and the listeners to your testimony. And I would say if you have come to that place and you have placed your faith and hope in the finished work of Jesus Christ and you have not been baptized, repent. Repent. Publicly proclaim your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to this local body of believers. Amen? Notice, how many Christians, how many Christians did they start with? Back in Acts chapter 1 and verse 14, there was about 120, 120. And through genuine biblical fellowship, gathering together to stir one another up toward love and good deeds, seeking the Lord... And prayer and the biblical presentation of the gospel preached with power and authority and passion. 3,000 came to saving faith. Oh, we need to pray. We need to pray for revival. Amen? We need to pray for revival. We need to pray that God would use us as conduits of truth to bring about revival. Revival starts, started with believers encouraging one another. One of the key components is prayer. Will you, will you continue to commit yourself to prayer if you are doing so? If you are not committing yourself to prayer for not only Calvary Bible Church and the preaching and teaching ministries here at Calvary Bible Church, but also the advancement of the gospel Not just here in this local body of believers, but all of the local body of believers around the world. Would you commit yourself to pray for revival, for the advancement of the kingdom? Yes? Oh, that was weak. (laughs) Amen? Amen. All right, that was before the Lord. There's many opportunities to pray. It's prayer meeting on Wednesday nights, 7 p.m. The Lord lays it on your heart that you need to commit to uh, being a prayer warrior and uh, support not only the ministries of Calvary Bible Church, but those folks that faithfully commit themselves to pray and seek the Lord and lift up the leadership and the believers here at this local body. Come out Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Another thing, praying for Sunday. If you don't own this book, buy this book. If you don't have four bucks, come and see me. Praying for Sunday. It's a great book that just kind of uh, focuses our attention and our our, um, prayer efforts on the preaching of God's word on Sunday morning. I hope, I hope that you're praying. I hope that you're praying for Tim. I hope that you, that you hold him up. I hope that as you, um, (laughs) as you think about this man of God who pours himself into this book for us, And not only that, but continues to be a shepherd 
Amen? Pray for him. Pray for the the study and preparation of God's word. Pray for the delivery of God's word. Pray for the reception of God's word. Pray for the mighty work of God's word in our hearts by the spirit. That through it, through this man's efforts, we might be conformed into the image of Christ. That we would be used by God for revival in this town, in this city, for Christ. Amen? Very practically, evangelism. You can learn all the things that are going on here at Calvary Bible Church in in the way of um, kind of group evangelism. There's a lot of private evangelism. People just kind of, you know, going about and we should be doing that. And there's also group um, activity where um, a group of folks from Calvary Bible Church get together and uh, they go over to uh, do some San Fernangelism. I like to call it. I think I stole that term from somebody. I don't know. Um, you can check out information on that at cbcevangelism.blogspot.com. And uh, they're very faithful to keep that updated and kind of post about what has been going on and also coming events and things that you can take part in. Um, I'll make this available. Um, I'll even throw some of the other pastors under the bus. If you want someone to go along with you and help you and teach you and uh, model for you how to do evangelism, call the office. And um, it'll probably be me. I'll say, hey, you said it. Um, but, uh, but call. I, I would love. I would love to set some time aside and, um, and get a group together and, and go out and, you know, and make that, uh, make that a point. Make that effort. God does, God does great things with just a few people. Not great people. Not... Amazing, gifted, super Christians, but the weak things he uses to shame the wise. This year, will you commit to seek those opportunities to pray for revival? And the preaching ministries at Calvary Bible Church? Will you pray for opportunities to correct error in love and humility? Will you pray for opportunities to make Jesus great and to lift him up, to make much of Jesus Christ? Will you pray for opportunities to make much of not only the person, but the work of Jesus Christ and the gospel? Wherever the Lord leads you in your work, in your family, in your neighborhood, in your home, will you commit before the Lord there? I will continue to preach the gospel. Just ask the Lord to do that in you. For your good and your edification, this local body of believers' good and edification, and most importantly, for God's glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Lord, as we... As we stand before this text and this amazing description of a man of God with fear of you 
is greater than his fear of man. We stand feeling woefully short. But Lord, we, we confess to you that we, we lack the necessary tools to do this. And yet we understand that if we abide in you, we can do all things. Lord, we pray. We pray that you would continue to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Lord, that you would embolden us, that you would give us opportunities to proclaim the truth, to correct error, to be ambassadors for Christ this coming year. Lord, that this coming year and the years to come, that Calvary Bible Church would be known as a church, that in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, there we preach the gospel. Lord, would you do that in and through us? We desire to be spent for you, to make your name great, to advance the kingdom for your glory in Christ's name. Amen.